So I take it that you have read both reports uh, at the stage. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And, That's correct. And, and what is your take uh, reading both? So the process we undertook is that we, we got both reports eventually. And we released a substantive statement um, post summarizing both reports, and that's going to be going up on our website if people are interested in that. Um, and we, we've had to look at sort of the complexities of running this type of process. Um, the reality is that when we started this process, it was one of two sort of undertakings. The first is to run some accountability mechanisms for women to be able to get some forms of restorative justice. Um, and to begin to think about like a healing process for everyone that's involved. And the second is to be able to use those lessons and those, and those experiences, for lack of a better word, to run a thorough organizational review and something that we could use as a bigger lesson for the sector more generally, because you know that other organizations have experienced similar things in the sector post um, this happening at Equal Education. So looking and assessing the two reports, we found that the Satchel Langa report that came out first um, didn't have a strong focus on the organizational review and advices in terms of how do we rebuild? You know, what are the lessons learned? How does equal education prevent this from happening again? But we also wanted to cite and sort of, for lack of a better word, understand that they were presenting a complexity around being able to go over and beyond the natural justice framework. And we know that these types of incidences do happen when when you think about reporting um, against sexual violence or sexual harassment of any nature. So, I mean, the disappointing thing about that first report is that we had hoped, and when I say we, I'm thinking in particular about the new leadership of equal education, to be able to run and facilitate a process that would look over far and beyond the limitations of the legal framework when it comes to um, sexual harassment. And, I mean, we took so much, um, I don't know, energy, or spams of um, the, the hashtags and the movements around justice for women, like the Me Too campaign, and we believe her, and we said these things and these words in our statements before. So we were a bit disappointed in that the, the women's voices weren't heard or narrated in a positive light in that report. Um, and this is something that we're also wanting to share as a lesson to the rest of civil society to go, look, when we start thinking about the future and what we really want is justice, restorative, or, or of any kind for women or ma- minority or marginalized groups, what, how do we make sure or empower people to be able to work beyond the framework in, in the current structural limitations of the world that we live in? And this is across the globe. Uh, and then having received Manju's report on the 10th, I think a lot of us, um, and I'm, I'm thinking about in, in conversation with other comrades about what this report represents, was very overwhelming um, to see to see pain sort of reflected from the people that are complainants that had come forward in this report, but also, uh, I don't know, in some ways affirmed by uh, the advices from Manju and her take on whether or not uh, testimony was heard or presented to the accused, but rather also mentioned as a key part in framing what the report would present. And so some of the lessons or the recommendations she's making to equal education, we've already started working and thinking about in the second part of what I called one of two part process in our own organizational review. How do we make sure the education around these types of issues, uh, power, patriarchy, um, are, are sort of central to all the conversations we have inside this movement? which will be, able, I mean, we're a youth movement. It's going to be able to shape our politics in the way that we, I don't know, uh, integrate mm. and work with civil society. But at the same time, we want to be able to, to reach out to the Women's Legal Center and see if we can talk to 
complainants and former employees of Equal Education to advise us and have their voices noted in what is going to be our organizational review as well. I think I think that's the best way. And a lot of people have been criticizing the fact that we're we're only harping on about the lessons learned as opposed to thinking about the hurt people have experienced. Mm. And I mean, that's fair. And I, I absolutely get it because, I mean, I, we are mostly a woman-led leadership. We've had these experiences, and that's why the statement reads in a way that's very empathetic to these situations because we get it. But we, the only thing we do have at the moment are lessons learned, the good and bad. What we could have done differently is equal education. What now we know we should do differently, but we're also wanting to get some expertise in terms of how do we really do things differently? How do we, how, how do we action what we say? Yeah and proposed as a victim or survivor-centered approach. Um, so it's been interesting the types of metrics and people have been speaking to in the sector. And this will include Professor Manjo and how we actually start thinking about this and breaking the mold of the existing framework. Mm. And Dr. Ma- uh, Professor Manjo's report was very interesting because she touches on all of these issues of transformative change and, mm. um, you know, issues of restoration and so on and so forth. But I, I found it very curious, uh, Nongaito, when you uh, read uh, the, pr- the d- Professor Manjo's report and how strongly she felt about these issues to the point where she wrote um, a dissenting report. Now, Mm. it it, it is very curious that she could not reconcile herself with the report of a commission that she was essentially a part of. Are you Mm. concerned about that? Oh, no, absolutely. Because the thing is, when putting together a panel like this, you try to look for people that have expertise, but in different ways to contribute and think together about how to how to run this process, and we knew it'd be difficult, right? So um, it would have been nice to know that there were sort of issues internally um, in the panel before the different reports came out in this way. I don't know what we could have done in that situation to be able to sort of mediate or better help the panel work together, but I do appreciate the fact that, I mean, you'll see in our statement we haven't called this a dissent report because we wanted to be very much part and parcel of the full process. So it's a second report that holds a different view. And I think we, we can only but appreciate her professionalism and, and her integrity as a panelist to want to be able to give us her side of the story, something that speaks a little bit more to the values and the principles we were holding in putting together this concept or this process and saying that, okay, even if there are limitations to the Slack framework uh, and it's difficult then to reconcile um, people being able to put forward their testimonies and not being heard by another party when thinking about fair judgment justice processes. Um, but also heard them saying, but you can't also not leave out these testimonies and these voices um, in shaping a report or concluding the process because it belongs to the woman, essentially. So I think it's, a, it's incredibly big of her and we, we couldn't be more grateful that this is something that came out of it. And we want to then, in fact, use this to think about then how, how do we help women heal and how do we how do we sincerely action the things that we've spoken about in, in previous statements and in our assessment of these two reports to make sure that people that were, were affected don't feel that we've sold them out um, hmm. or were quiet on pertinent issues, but that we're still here and we're committed to helping folks sort of deal. So what's the way forward uh, with regard to Daron Isaacs? Where is he now? What's his position within the organization? And what do you intend doing now that you have these two reports? Mm. So the interesting thing about what happened at Equal Education, and I wish it was uh, it was featured a bit more in media because of the types of effects it's had internally, is that both, because uh, we've had two processes run around sexual harassment, both um, accused um, had resigned from Equal Education but we still ran these panels and processes as, as like accountability measures to make sure that even if people leave, which not 
not many other organizations have been able to do this work. Um, they'd still be held to account for the actions that they, they had sort of done in their time at EE. So I, I haven't been in communication with Duran. I'm not sure where he is or what he's doing now, but he's not a member uh, or staff or member in good standing of equal education at the moment. What I am wondering uh, is that when we start thinking about restorative justice for these women, um, how, does, how does his role factor in? As, uh, as someone that is part and parcel of this process. And these are the sort of questions that we've got for people that have expertise in these areas in the sector.